This presentation has been previously broadcast. tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. There's any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church. That's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. This reading today is, there's a doctorate in every line, unfortunately. <laughs> it's a doctorate I'm never going to get, but we're going we're gonna to unpack it, as they say. But let's pray in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them in the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the nations by the light of the Holy Spirit. Grant us by that same Spirit to have right judgment in all things and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our defense against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray. And do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. All right, let's open the big book on the coffee table. You know, this letter to the Romans is 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 really, really something. Um... Uh, I've shared with you the political situation in Rome, the situation of the Jews in the Roman Empire, uh, the tension that existed between the two cultures. Paul really lived on the edge. There's a very interesting article a few years um, ago uh, in Biblical Archaeological Review. Uh, Sounds scholarly, but, well, it's got lots of big pictures and bold print. It's it's really fun magazine, but... uh, uh, where was I? Yeah, so, but why Why Paul went west? You know, it's interesting. The gospel went east and west. The gospel took root in, in, in the east. Uh, the Church of the East, the, there were Christians in India probably very shortly after the, the resurrection of the Lord. And, um, you know, there the, the were <laughs> ancient Christian churches in China. But it really flourished in the west, uh, largely through the efforts of of Saints Peter and Paul. Uh, so, uh, why did he go west? Well, uh, you have to understand that the Holy Land is was right on the border of two worlds. To the east, the common language there were there were Greek speakers. I mean, there were Greek speaking kingdoms in places like Afghanistan and and in Central Asia. Alexander the Great got that far, so there was Greek. But essentially, east of the Jordan River, um, the, the the Aramaic language prevailed, a Semitic language closely related to Hebrew. West of the Jordan River, Greek prevailed, as I said. There were probably more people in Rome who spoke Greek than Latin at the time of Christ, certainly the time of the apostles. So uh, 
it, it was a world that was different than we conceive of it. The Holy Land was very Hellenic, and uh, St. Uh, Paul was very Greek. Uh, he was raised in Tarsus, which was a Greek-speaking city. He has a great Greek education. He quotes Greek authors uh, in in uh, the scripture, uh, Greek poets and, and, and that sort of thing. And he is also a Pharisee. So Judaism, just as Judaism in our times, is, is in a way very American, a very uh, uh, European-American. Um, so it was at the time of Christ that Judaism was very Greek. And so Paul is very, he's living on the edge of both of those worlds. And he, in this passage today, I think he sort of, you see, Paul the Greek uh, um, uh, manifesting himself. Think about it. We used to talk about, and I don't know if we still do, but we used to talk about our civilization as Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian. Uh, that, in other words, there are four pillars of our society: Greek philosophy, Roman law, uh, and you know, all of our post offices and court buildings look like Greek temples. And we, were, of course, are Judeo-Christian. Um, the, 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 the holy scriptures of, of, uh, uh, of Judaism are our holy scriptures, uh, at least as our society developed. Um, well, the first person in history who could properly be called Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian was Paul. He was a Greek, culturally, he grew up in a Greek-speaking city. Greek would have been, he probably had two first languages, Aramaic at home and, and Greek uh, everywhere else. Uh, so he was Greek. He was a Roman citizen born into the citizenship. He didn't purchase it or wasn't given it. His father was a Greek, was a Roman citizen, though a Jew. And he was certainly Judean. He went back to Judea for his education, apparently. And he was, of course, a Christian. So our civil, St. Paul, in a sense, is the first person of our civilization. Uh, Greco-Roman Judeo-Christian civilization. And I don't think people think of that. Well, what's all this about? I know that good does not dwell in me. That is in my flesh. Now, I'm trying to, uh, of course, my, my computer is not cooperating because, of course, it never does. Uh, but um, he says uh, that I know that uh, I can't seem to pull this up uh I should get the hard copy of it. But I know that good does not dwell in me. Let me see if I can find it another way. Um, uh, hold on. Let me see if I can back. I just have so many windows open because there's so much stuff. Uh, um, there are two words in Greek for good. Uh, the There is the, uh, um, uh, the word kalon. And, I, you know... I always tell you, take what I say with a grain of salt. I might be wrong about this. Uh, however, I, I think I'm on solid ground here. There's the word kalos and uh, uh, kalos and agathos. Agathos is a word that means. Oh, I've got so many windows just just um, fluttering around here that I can't make heads or tails of them. Uh, the the word kalos. Well, agathos means good. 
it is good in itself, you know, that as in what's that good for? Oh, that's good for uh, for putting in this recipe. That would be agathos. Well, kalos is a different good. It originally means beautiful. And ancient Greeks somehow thought physical beauty betokened inner beauty. Of course, that's crazy. I've met some really beautiful people who've got no internal beauty at all. And I've met some really ugly people who are just, once you get gnome, they're gorgeous. But it's an interior beauty. So uh, uh, I know that good does not dwell in me; that is in my flesh, and that's that's the line I'm trying to find here. And my computer will not will not uh, let me go there. But I will do my best. Um, hold on, I've got. I should probably. Oh, good grief! Stupid. Ah, I see a book I need. I can get. I'll look it up in an actual physical book. And and that that will of course who knows if I can can't work a computer I wonder if I can work a book, but uh, this idea of internal and external beauty he uses them both and they mean different things. <sighs> you know I actually try to prepare for this show believe it or not, uh, and no matter how much I try to prepare it still doesn't seem to work, but. That's just me. All right. Uh, Romans, the seventh chapter, the 18th verse and following. And I'm going to do bear with me. This is this has got to be very confusing. It's confusing to me. Uh, so it must be desperately confusing to anyone listening to me. All right. Now, turn the page. Uh, 718. I know that um, there does not dwell in my flesh anything that is agathon, that is ultimately good in itself. Um, then he goes on. Um, it's kind of funny. The translator, the willing is ready at hand. What the heck does that mean? Uh, what he really says here is uh, 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 the desire uh, is present to me, but the doing, doing the noble thing, and that, that's the word kalon. It's a different word for good. Doing the, the virtuous thing. So there are two different things. Nothing ultimately useful really dwells in my flesh. Uh, so, you know, I, 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 I'm a slave to the flesh, he's saying. I'm, I'm living in the flesh, and there's really nothing ultimately useful. Well, I thought the body was good. Do you realize there's such a thing as a resurrection body? Uh, we read about that in, in, in the text of Scripture, that, that uh, uh, the resurrection body is, 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 is uh, um, uh, uh, the body that will rise, or the spiritual body. Uh, the body is sown, uh, uh, and, and it talks about a psychikun body, a natural body, a, a body with a soul. But uh, it is raised as a spiritual body. Think about Christ's resurrection from the dead. He could walk through walls. He wasn't a ghost. He had a real body. It could be touched. Uh, this, it sounds completely contradictory, but if you really look at quantum physics, <laughs> it's a lot more far-fetched than resurrection. Seriously. that There are particles that, that seem to be able to, well, go through walls. There's a spiritual body. We, we will be raised as a spiritual body. Um, just, just look at 1 Corinthians 15, 44. It, it's, it's rather astonishing. So this idea of a spiritual body, what, what can this be? Well, uh, he says that, um, 
very simply, I do not, I wish, uh, well, I don't do what the good that I want to do. In other words, that which is really useful. Think about it. Sin doesn't work. It really doesn't. Uh, for instance, uh, uh, I, I've shared the idea that lying. Lying doesn't work. You tell a lie, then you got to tell a second lie to cover the first, a third to cover the second, and a fourth, and you found out in all of them, and then people don't trust you at all. It doesn't work. There's nothing really good about sin. Uh, it seems good at the time, but it's nothing, nothing intrinsically good about sin. There's nothing like I found. So, um, but... The evil that I don't want is what I do. I can say, yeah, this is stupid. I'm going to do it anyway. <sighs> so moving along here, let me go back to the text here. I discover the principle that I want to do right. Evil is at hand. Um, the word principle, uh, um, let me see that word. I actually looked it up here. Um, uh, it, it's very interesting. The word is law. It's the same as the word for the law of Moses. It isn't a principle. So then I discover the law that when I want to do right, uh, um, evil is at hand, badness. And I see that there's a different law at work in in my in my work. The word it's a very odd word. It's kind of working parts. Uh, the parts that, that function, uh, your members, you know, you can move your arm. The, the, the things that are at my disposal, uh, that I can move, there's a law uh, uh, of failure in them. I know this is complicated, but be patient with me. There's the law of sin in, in the parts of my body. And then he says, wretched man. Now, this is one of the most interesting words. Wretched man, who will deliver me from this body of death? And the word wretched is someone beaten down. Do you ever feel beaten down by your very physicality? I do. As you get older, you feel more beaten down. Talaiporos, uh, you poor wretch. It would. It almost pictures a slave. You know, when they when they dig up uh, bodies in Pompeii or Herculaneum, we have so few Roman bodies outside because they generally cremated that we don't have uh, those those physical human remains outside of Herculaneum and Pompeii. But they found that they can tell who was a slave because the repetitive actions to which slaves were condemned actually deformed their bones. That's Talipros. You beaten down poor old thing. You poor old wretch. And it comes from the word for a callous. So um, miserable man that I am, beaten down, who will deliver me from this body of death? He's talking again about slavery. Uh, maybe that I should just have cut to the chase with that. But this is the slavery of sin. It beats us down. And, and uh, uh, there's no nothing really useful in my body. Uh, and, and therefore I don't do what is virtuous. So those two different words for, for good. <sighs> I don't know if that's at all useful to you, but, but that really is the human condition. Again, he's talking about the law. Uh, the word they say principle, that word is law. And he's saying the Gentiles have a law, the Jews have the law, they essentially both have the same law. And this law manifests itself in my very body. I'm incapable of the good and the virtuous that I want to, to do, because there's 
there's nothing ultimately in my body that that really works out. And I, I think that when you're young, you, you don't think that. But when you get older, you realize your body itself is is a thing that 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 can drag you down. Um, the passions of the flesh and the weakness of the flesh, be it moral weakness or even physical weakness. So he says, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ. In other words, I'm going to be delivered from this. Um, this is our great hope um, that we will be delivered from this, 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 this body of death, this mortal body. All right. Um, let me, let me, let me say this. Uh, look at the gospel. When you see a cloud rising in the West, you say it's going to rain. Uh, <clears throat> you know, the appearance of the earth and sky. Don't you know how to interpret the present time? You hypocrites. You know, we keep thinking that sin is going to work out. You know, uh, people get married, they get divorced. They get married, they get divorced. They get married, they get divorced. And then they stop getting divorced because they're just tired of getting married. Uh, um, you know, second marriages, they say, are the, are the, are the triumph of, of hope over experience. What Jesus is saying is, can't you see that, that sin doesn't work out? Uh, why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? Human beings, at least this human being, uh, human beings are adept at lying to themselves. You ever thought of that? I, I'm I'm so good at lying to myself. I, I can I can say, oh, <laughs> you know, it's not so bad, and it's terrible. So uh, people accuse Christians of being unrealistic. We are we are the most realistic. We realize that sin doesn't work. We realize that that uh, uh, um, virtue is not something we can attain to without grace. We're realists. We don't expect more of humanity than humanity. And I'll end with this. Have you ever considered that it is idolatry to expect more of a human being than humanity? You know, we look at our parents, we look at our spouse, we look at our friends, and we expect perfection. And then when they disappoint us, we are just, we feel defrauded. But you were supposed to be perfect, you know. Uh, they say about marriage that a, a young woman marries a man thinking, I can change him. And a young man marries a young woman saying, oh, I hope the dear little thing I'm marrying never changes. Guess what? She's going to change. He's not going to change. To expect humanity, more than humanity from another person, to expect divinity from a human being is a kind of idolatry. And we Christians are realists. We understand this passage in St. Paul that I can't attain to the virtuous because I don't have what's really useful inside of me. It's not good. It doesn't really work. You follow? Uh, all right. So I, 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 I hope that's a little bit clear. I think we should go now to mass hysteria. Dogs and cats Boy, living together. Mass hysteria. Vaguely coherent. Oh, All right. Um, oh, good grief. I, this is a great song. Oh, however... <clears throat> However, it's not it's not gonna last. So moving along here, um, 
This is a letter, which I will read. Hello, Father. I heard one of your shows. You explained the importance of Latin Mass. Is Latin Mass more important than English Mass? Was the Latin Mass the original Mass we should attend? Can you explain how Latin Mass came into existence? No. Latin Mass was not the original Mass. The original Mass, I assume, was in Aramaic and quickly went into Greek. You know, I remember the story of... Um, uh, it's. I Maybe I've shared this. It was in the play... Man for All Seasons. They didn't put it in the movie, but the Spanish ambassador comes to visit Sir Thomas More, and upstairs, uh, his daughter Meg and her boyfriend, Young Roper, are reading the breviary in Latin, and the Spanish ambassador says, ah, that's sacred language, and Thomas More says, not sacred, just old. <coughs> in the Mass, you notice we have the Kyrie, which is in Greek. We have Amen and Alleluia, which are in Hebrew. We have bits. Uh, uh, <coughs> we're supposed to, if we're doing the Mass of Vatican II, we're supposed to still have Latin in the Mass. We're supposed to be able to sing the parts of the Mass in Latin. <coughs> Did you know that? That's part of uh, the the uh, uh, Sacrosanctum Concilium, the, the document on the liturgy uh, from the Second Vatican Council. We remember the history of our liturgy in the Mass. But the idea that, that you know, and, and there's something to be said for a lingua sacra, a sacred language. However, <coughs> Latin is very important as a kind of memory. But to say one Mass is more valid than the other, I really believe this is why the Pope has put out this most recent uh, motu proprio. Um, uh, that, and I, I'm, here we go, third rail again. But, you know, when someone says that, that, um, this mass is better than that mass, well, is the Slavonic mass better than the Latin mass? Or perhaps the mass in Guise, in the Coptic rite, is, it's probably more ancient than the Latin, is it better? No, what is best is a, a, a liturgy that is done about the Lord. Now, I, I have a letter here I want to read. Where did I put it? Oh, I hope it'll come up. Let's see here. Uh, where did I put it? Where did I put it? Uh, Latin Mass of Addiction. Okay. okay. Oh, dear. Where did I put it? Uh, well, we're going to go to a break, and I will uh, 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 come back to this thing. So let's go to a break, and I'll finish this this segment when we get we when we get back. We'll be right back. Oh, 888-914-9149. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash Forrester. Chicago, Chicago, that toddling town. Chicago, Chicago, I will show you around. I love Oh, it. I'm not going to show you around Chicago these days. I'm far away. All right, I want to finish this this uh, this segment on on uh, the idea of a sacred language and uh, is Latin better than English? Is English better than Latin? Is the old better than the new? 
I got a letter from Karen that I think really helps. After attending the Divine Liturgy at a Byzantine Rite Church many years ago, I came to an epiphany regarding what seemed to be missing from Mass at my parish. But I kept attending my parish and wrestling with its inadequacies. The wrestling over the years has made me get better at focusing on God amidst the mess. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I think the liturgy, as it, you know, as it is perpetrated by people my age, young liberals who are in their 60s and 70s, is disastrous. I mean, it, it's, I shared the other day that the, the, the liturgy is, is, is is the it's recontracting the covenant it is a liturgy it isn't the sort of spontaneous so oh, let's get together and dance about in paper mache heads that's insanity i was watching some mass uh in california where they had these aztec gods prancing about who demanded human sacrifice that's blasphemous. It's not the mass. It might be a lovely community gathering and watching Aztec dance. I love Aztec dancers. They're fascinating, a little scary. But to have these things as part of this this covenant ceremony, it's not the covenant ceremony. The liturgy as as it has the the the, the liturgy of the Latin rite, I'm sorry. It, it's in a bad state, and people have tried to reform it, but it, it's, it's, it's taken a lot of work. However, this letter from Karen really speaks to me. She ends with, I agree that there is ugliness in our churches, but I hope to look for, to Christ for the beauty. You know, this is, if you are in a parish where things are wacky, uh, don't go away. And I, I genuinely believe that 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 one is not better than the other. That that um, and I, I know people who I'm very close to who disagree with me very strongly. I love the Latin Mass. I say the Latin Mass. Uh, uh, I, I used to do it monthly, uh, but I was raised in English in the English liturgy as a priest. Um, the whole thing is about if you know what you're doing at Mass and you do it. It is pleasing to God. If you make Mass an entertainment that distracts people from, from the worship of God, then it's bad. And, you know, I, there was a picture of some priest in Austria who said part of Mass while he was in a sort of kayak on a lake. What is that about? That's insanity. It's about him. It's not about God. And so often when I say, well, I don't like this Mass, I don't like that Mass, then I make Mass about me and not about God. You follow that in my insistence on what I think is proper liturgy, be it the new liturgy or the old liturgy, I'm making it about me. Don't make it about you. And the priest should not make it about the priest. It is about the worship of God and the renewal of that covenant by Holy Communion. Uh, so, I, Karen, that was a lovely letter. I look to Christ for the beauty. So, you know, don't give up. Don't give up. Um, the Lord wins in the end. I read the end of the book. All right. Oh, I'm calm. Let's go to letters. Okay. Now, of course, if my... Ah, the computer cooperated here. Um, let's see here. This is... Um, oh, I just read that one. Let me erase it so I don't read it again tomorrow. Um, 
this is this is also beautiful about the liturgy. Oh, this is good. This is good. This is from uh, Michael in Chicago. Have you ever heard the story about Della Reese tells when she was on a gospel music tour with Mahalia Jackson? I love gospel music, by the way. Delia had just finished her song and received a very nice reception from the audience. Miss Jackson did not even rise. Mahalia Jackson. Uh, she did not even rise from her seat, but started humming, low and meaningful, before singing. The crowd went absolutely crazy and sway stayed that way throughout the song. Afterward, Delia asked her how she did that, to which Miss Jackson, Mahalia Jackson, replied, You were performing. I was praising the Lord. Whoa! If you're an aficionado of gospel music, you can tell when a choir is performing and when a choir is praising the Lord. It is different. And we should be able to look at a mass and see when when the choir is performing, when the choir is praising the Lord. We should be able to look at a mass and see when the priest is performing or praising the Lord. We should be able to look at ourselves and see if we're there for the performance or to praise the Lord. This is so. Thank you for that letter, Michael. That's that's. I'd never heard that story. It is profound. You, honey, were performing. I was praising the Lord. Ask yourself that next time you you leave the mass, commenting on the priest's performance. I, I will never forget that. Um, uh, somebody wrote in. Uh, I, I had a funeral that, that I didn't know was a funeral. People ask for a memorial mask. What's a memorial mask? Someone died three months ago. They want a memorial mask. They were expecting a full funeral for a bunch of cremated remains. Well, the hearse pulls up to the church. I was utterly blindsided. We didn't have an organist. We didn't, I just thought this was going to be a quiet little, oh, no, they had the eulogies planned and the drums and trumpets. And Somebody wrote in to the cardinal or to the, uh, the, the diocese and said, I was not happy with Father's performance. Well, I wasn't happy with their performance either. <laughs> I was not happy with Father's performance. Uh, I remember, uh, oh, I'm just, I'm just going on. You'll forgive me. I'm now I'm ranting and raving. I remember, uh, uh, I'm sure I've shared this with you. There was a grand event. Uh, 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 I was in a parish that had a very large Vietnamese community, lovely people, devout. But uh, there was this grand mass plan for some grand event, two choirs, and and this young, enthused Vietnamese seminarian ran up to me and says, Father, should I put this uh, chord up on the stage? And I was about to say, it's not a stage. It's an, I said, yeah, put it up on the stage because it had become a stage. Question yourself whether you go to the new mass or the old mass or something in between. Are you there for the performance or are you there for the Lord? That's the question. All right. I'm in a mood today, aren't I? Okay. Okay. Another one. What, what's the time frame here? I can do another letter. Okay. Oh, oh, this is one that's just crazy making. This is somebody who, Mike, my sixth grade daughter at a Catholic school told me instead of normal gym class activities today, they did yoga. I know very little about yoga. I've heard some Catholics argue that it's okay. It is not okay. Um, yoga, if it's just stretching, maybe it's okay. But the word yoga means to be yoked. It is a, an, it is a, a an Indo-European word that means to be yoked. And you're yoking yourself to what? If you're doing certain positions that evoke a god or goddess of some pantheon somewhere, that's wrong. If you're doing stretching, that's fine. Um, the, the, well, there's some people who say uh, uh, that... Um, uh, uh, um, that, well, uh, 
the various positions are named for Hindu gods. Well, he talks about one standing like a frog, and she also taught them the word namaste. I don't know what namaste means. I suppose I should have looked it up. But I would say, say something to school. Say, you know, uh, I'm, I'm nervous about the yoga. And if they say, oh, nonsense. If another parent's worried about the yoga, it's, it's stretching is a very good thing. Classical yoga is a religious exercise. That's as far as I can tell. And that's another, boy, a lot of third rails today. All right, let's, let's go to a break and I'll come back with a word of the day, which is going to be another controversial thing. I'm sorry. Oh, 888-914-9149, 888-914-9149. Oy, I'm in a mood today. The Relevant Radio Studio Line is sponsored by Catholic Order of Foresters. Information about employment opportunities and their flexible premium life insurance plans available at relevantradio.com slash forester. You know, good gospel music has a quality of chant to it. Um, it's not chant, but it has a quality of chant. I, I, I knew a, a, a gospel singer, Mahalia, not Mahalia Jackson. Oh, come on, why can't I think of her name? Willa Dorsey. Oh, when that woman sang, it was it was praise. Well, at any rate, let us go to the word of the day. Oh, I got to remind you about the nativity scene. We're still, uh, not the nativity scene that's done, isn't it? I thought, yes, yes, the voice in my head said nativity. Ha! I, uh, usually he's absolutely correct, but I got him this time. Uh, the, uh, um, uh, don't forget the, uh, when does the novena start? As he said, having forgotten when the novena starts. November 2nd, we will be praying for the holy souls, uh, the souls in purgatory. So why do we call them holy souls if they're in purgatory? Because they're in a state of grace, and that's holiness. They've got to work on a few issues. So, um, all right, let us go to the word of the day, which is orthodoxy. Um, so I looked up orthodoxy, and orthodox, it means orthodoxy, is being in the state of being orthodox. And here the definition is relating to, conforming to the approved form of any doctrine, philosophy, ideology, etc., relating to or conforming beliefs, attitudes, modes of conduct that are generally approved, conforming to the Christian faith as represented in the creeds of the early church. Well, I got a couple calls uh, the other day about orthodoxy from two people who were in exactly opposite poles of each other. And I wanted to share a definition of orthodoxy that Rabbi Lefkowitz and I came up with because Rabbi Lefkowitz said, uh, oh dear, this is going to be an involved story. I went to Rabbi Lefkowitz's house on my first invitation to Shabbos dinner on a Friday night. And he wasn't sure about this, this, you know, Goyesh or Gallic, this Christian priest. And, um, uh, I'm sitting at the far end of the table and he's sitting at the opposite end. His wife, the Rabitzin, comes in. And out comes the gefilte fish. It was a Friday in Lent. Gefilte fish, that certainly is penance. No problem. Out came the noodle kugel, which is sort of like having dessert as the second course. No problem. Out came the turkey. And I looked at the rabitzin and I said, I can't eat that. And she said, what? I said, it's Friday in Lent. And she said, it's, it's, it's Shabbos. 
I said, for you, it's Shabbos. For me, it's Friday and Lent. And she said, surely the Lord would send you an extra neshoma so you could eat the turkey. The idea is that God sends you extra souls, which are symbolized by candles, which I think is a beautiful thing. That's that's why we like candles in church. They're symbolic of, of, of the angels praying with us. Uh, um, I remember I had a friend who uh, was coming back to the faith, and uh, he went to Assisi, and he had to go. He, his train was leaving, and he so wanted to stay at St. Francis' tomb. And he realized, I'm going to light a candle, symbolic of my desire to stay here. That's the idea of a neshoma. Well, God would send you an extra neshoma, which is kind of means soul. So that the neshoma can do the fasting and you can eat the turkey. And I looked at her and I said, I don't think God is going to send a Gentile an extra neshoma so he can eat meat on Friday. And she shrugged and she went and got more of the noodle kugula. And at the end of the table... The rabbi just smiled. I had won the argument, and he realized I meant it. Uh, if I could resist his wife and, and uh, Turkey, he knew that I meant it. So he said to me, I like you because you're Orthodox. Not Jewish, but you're Orthodox. And I said, well, I try, Rabbi, I try. So we, we, we discussed, what is, what is Orthodoxy? And we came up with a definition that I don't know most people would be content with. But Orthodoxy is the belief that God has spoken. And our our greatest duty is to hear as clearly as possible and obey as fully as possible. It allows for the fact that I'm going to get it wrong. But this relating to conforming to approved form of doctrine, who does the approving? If I do the approving, oh, <laughs> big deal, I'm my own God. But if I realize it is God who sets the norm. And I will always get it a little bit wrong, but I want to hear God. I want to hear him more clearly. I want to obey him more willingly. That's orthodoxy. It allows me to, rem it, it, it forces me to remember that I am not the, the arbiter of reality. God is. And, and I may get him wrong. But if my desire is to get him right, I really do believe that the Lord, the Lord will make up the difference unless we resist him. My definition of orthodoxy, given me by Rabbi Lefkowitz, is orthodoxy is the belief that God has spoken. And our duty is to hear and obey, even if we get it wrong, at least in part. That's what St. Paul says in 1 Corinthians we prophesy in part, we know in part. All right, 888-914-9149. Any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, the church, the big book on the coffee table, the Bible. Don't ask me about stock tips. I haven't a clue or how cars work. Who have we got on the line, dear voice in my This head? is smart. Maxwell smart. I'm sure Elizabeth is smart. She's listening to Relevant Radio. Elizabeth, what is your question? Yes, Father Simon, I love your show, and I'm a Protestant. I wanted to ask you the best book you could recommend about Mary. Uh, I want to learn more about the Catholic oh, Church's adoration of Mary. Oh, well, we don't adore her. <laughs> we we do praise her because she, you know, like you might praise me, I might praise you. We don't adore Mary. Adoration is reserved to God. Didn't Father Rocky write a very good book about that voice in my head? Oh, oh, we're not sure. What, what's the name of the book? Do you know? Our, our, Mary at the Crossroads of History. 
I, you might have a hard time getting it, but look it up on the web, Mary at the Crossroads of History. It's an excellent book. And, and uh, you know, my favorite title of our Blessed Mother, as we call her, because all generations should call her blessed, as it says in Luke, I believe, second chapter, all generations should call her blessed. Our Blessed Mother, um, I love the title Queen of Angels, because the word angel means messenger. And she is the messenger of God, we believe, par excellence. You know, all these visions. In the early church, they had visions of, of a woman. They always identified her with the church. And as that visionary period sort of lapsed, they began to, uh, they, 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 as that visionary period sort of lapsed, they began to identify her with Mary. And well, what was it, the church or Mary? And Mary, in a sense, is the paradigm. She's the incarnation of the church. She was the first member of the church. She was the first to accept Jesus as her Lord and Savior. She was faithful to him at the foot of the cross. She was a witness to the resurrection and Pentecost. So, so that's, you know, she has been, she is the queen of messengers, par excellence, we believe. Another one, wonderful one is, uh, what is it by Dr. Hahn? Hail Holy Queen by Dr. Scott Hahn, who comes from an evangelical Presbyterian background. So those two books, Mary at the Crossroads of of history by Father Rocky, Father Father Francis Hoffman, and uh, Dr. Scott Hahn's book *Hail Holy Queen*. Those are two good ones. Uh, if one isn't available, I'm sure the other will be. Does that help? That helps tremendously. Thank you, Father Simon. I appreciate it. Well, I'm honored that you listen. God bless you, and uh, the Lord is good. All right, who have we got next? Dear voice in my head. Eric from Brownsville, Texas. What is your question for me? Uh, yes, Father, I had a question regarding the Jews. What is the church's position on salvation for the Jews? Oh, this the question. Uh, this is a question for a doctorate. What I would say is what is the position of the church on salvation for anyone? that to be saved and redeemed is to be conformed to the image of Christ, which we're going to be talking about this week in the readings. And uh, the, the, uh, we're saved by grace through faith. Now, St. Faustina said uh, in one of her locutions, I think very beautifully, when she questioned the Lord about uh, people who, who uh, didn't have the uh, uh, ability to hear the gospel, the Lord said to her, uh, and of course, this is not Catholic doctrine. This is a, a, a private revelation. But the Lord said to her, don't worry, at the hour of death, I am my own apostle. Uh, so what the church essentially says, as I understand it, is that if a person does not reject Christ or fails to accept Christ through no fault of their own, God in his mercy and justice will make a way. Um there are theories about the the, uh, uh, the, the paradise uh, of the just, that a good man will not suffer in hell. However, he may not have the vision of God, uh, which is reserved to the baptized. We don't know, really. Uh, Pope Benedict said very beautifully that we hope that... that uh, uh, we have good hope that God in his mercy and justice will 
will make salvation available to all in some way or other. So we don't really, you know, the Catholic Church has, it will talk about people definitively being in heaven. It has never definitively placed anyone in hell. So the idea of someone who is not a baptized Christian necessarily going to hell, you might read about that historically, but it has never been, as far as I understand, never been the the clear teaching of the church. Um, those who reject Christ consciously and knowingly, well, that's a different ballpark. But I, I know that knowing Jews as well as I do, you know, so I've been very close to some Jewish people, that that there is such a gulf between us over a thousand years of, of animosity and persecution that it, they can't hear the gospel from us. So we trust God. That's, that's essentially the, 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 the position of the church. We trust God's mercy and justice. So I hope that, hope that helps a little. So who have we got next, dear voice in my head? Lawrence from Rock Island, Illinois. Are you with us, Lawrence? What's your question yes, for me? Yes, Father. Father, question, uh, uh, I say the rosary every morning, hold on to the rosary, but I'm going to be possibly driving a school bus because of the lack of people able to drive school bus, and I want to know on my way back home, because I have to travel 15 miles back home, that if I hang the rosary on the mirror, would that be all right without holding on to it? Oh, of course. You don't need to hold on to a rosary to say the rosary. When I don't have a rosary with me and I want to say the rosary, I say, Hail Mary, full of grace. One. Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord, is with me. I finish the prayer. Two. I just count the number afterwards. You don't, you can say it on your fingers. You can, you can number, you don't have to hold a rosary to say the rosary. That's, that's something that's helpful to keep track of, 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 of the, of the prayers, but it's not necessary. So yeah. You don't even have to hang it on the on the mirror. Put it in your pocket, <laughs> uh, and and just uh, uh, say it on your fingers, or say "Hail Mary, full of grace, Lord is with thee." Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. One, and that, I, that works for me. So I hope that helps a little. It's not necessary to hold the rosary to say the rosary. <laughs> so, and you can just get the get 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 the phone app for for the, and we have the rosary on. It's a wonderful way to say the rosary in the car. The relevant radio app, or just tune into the station. But get the app, uh, and and uh, and relevant radio will lead you in the rosary. That that's. That will work. So I hope that helps. Who we got now? Dear voice in my head. Oh, Vanessa from Dallas, Texas, with a Marian book recommendation. What is your recommendation? Uh, yes, uh, it's a book by Brian Petrie called Jesus and the Jewish Roots of Mary, Unveiling the Mother of the Messiah. It's awesome. And he has a really great uh, Mary Bible study too. Unformed. Doctor Brant which Pitry, is a website. Doctor Brant Pitry is wonderful. He is. I I have the greatest respect for him. He is a true scholar, and thank you for that recommendation. I wish I had thought about it. Uh, the Jewish roots of Mary. Uh, What's that, Nick? What was that? Oh, I'm supposed to keep going. Keep going. Yes, it's it's a, a very, very good doctor. Anything by Dr. Rand Pitry is good. But Mary and the Jewish Roots of the Messiah. Excellent book. Thank you, Vanessa. Who do we have now? Oh, we got no other calls now. Well, we got we got about 
We got about three minutes. <laughs> if you if you call in, maybe we can. I don't know. You know, I want to go back to this letter to the Romans. I, I it's as if I'm reading it every time I read it. It's as if I'm reading it for the first time. And I I'm sorry if I'm a little incoherent, but I really do think that the cultural and linguistic roots of Saint Paul are important in understanding it. But it's about the idea of I really really believe it's about the idea of how can non-Jews and Jews get along in the Church of Rome. And he says that we have the law in common, whereas Orthodox Judaism would have said, no, 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 it's quite the opposite. The, the law is what keeps us from having anything in common. Well, that was true about 603 commandments of the law. So let me retrace. And I think I stole this idea from Dr. Han. Uh, Rabbi Lefkowitz says, no, 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 that's not the way it was. But I think uh, it makes sense. Remember, Moses had to go up the mountain twice. He went up the mountain, got the Ten Commandments, came down, and there was there they were dancing about the golden calf. If you remember the movie, The Ten Commandments, with Charlton Heston, there you saw the, the Israelites and, and Edward G. Robinson dancing about the golden calf. And, uh, well, Moses, Moses had a... A, a colossal hissy fit and broke the tablets of the law and and uh, he went back up the mountain. Well, he got 603 more commandments, but those were to create a new kind of people. And when that people and that awareness of 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 the of the holiness of God had spread through the world and the Messiah came, that the 603 commandments were no longer necessary. The ten still were, and and the law that is in our hearts. And the law that was written on the tablets uh, that Moses brought down first, those those are the same law. They're about the nature of God and the nature of humanity. Who have we got on the line? Linda from California. Are you with us, Linda? What is your question for me? Uh, is it okay for me to go to my sister's house who is practicing Buddhism? We are all ca Catholics from day one, all 12 of us, and we I don't know if she's practicing Buddhism. Um, I don't know what, what to think well, of that. I, I think, yes, it's all right for you to go to the house understanding that you will not participate in anything Buddhist. Now, Buddhism is much more a philosophy than it is a religion in some ways. So she has... has uh, uh, embrace that philosophy, and it is the opposite of Christianity. Buddhism, everyone thinks Buddhism and Christianity get along really well. Buddhism, in a sense, is the opposite of Christianity. Buddhism is a philosophical way to avoid suffering. Uh, it's it's not unlike Stoicism in the Greek in the Greek speaking ancient world. It's how how to not suffer by refusing to suffer. Whereas Christianity is we embrace suffering. For the sake of Christ and his cross, we join our sufferings to his for the salvation of the world. So in that sense, Buddhism and Christianity are opposite. But I, I don't think it's it's worth uh, uh, cutting off a relationship to your sister. She may come back to the faith if you represent, if you by your personality represent Christ and the beauty of the faith. But uh, just make sure that you do not participate in any of the rituals of Buddhism because the religious element of Buddhism uh, is is uh, contrary to Christianity. Well, I hear music in my head, and that's wonderful because it means Drew is coming up. Boy, oh boy. 
This is the biggest prayer meeting in history. Drew's uh, uh, divine, uh, the, the, the Divine Mercy Devotion, the chaplet. So don't go anywhere. Be part of something big and historical. Well, Drew, he's big and pretty historical. He's a real tall guy. 